Good morning and welcome to PepsiCo's 2021 second quarter earnings question and answer session. Your lines have been placed on listen only until it is your turn to ask a question. In order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Ravi Pemnani, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Pemnani, you may begin. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone has had a chance this morning to review our press release and prepared remarks, both of which are available on our website. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. We may make forward-looking statements on today's call including about our business plans, updated 2021 guidance, and the potential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties and only reflect our view as of today, July 13, 2021, and we are under no obligation to update. When discussing our results, we, re- we refer to non-GAAP measures, which exclude certain items from reported results. Please refer to our Q2 2021 earnings release in Form 10-Q, available on PepsiCo.com, for definitions and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures and additional information regarding our results, including a discussion of factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from forward-looking statements. Joining me today are PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuarta, and PepsiCo's Vice Chairman and CFO, Hugh Johnston. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question. And with that, I will turn it over to the operator for the first question. Thank you. Once again, in order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. Our first question is coming from Bonnie Herzog of Goldman Sachs. Good morning, everyone. Morning, morning. Good morning. I guess I wanted to to ask about you know PB&A, hoping you could provide a little bit more color on that business and the drivers of the robust top line growth that you saw in the quarter. I guess I'm wondering if you know the growth accelerated each month in the quarter, and you know if you're seeing this double digit growth continue so far in July. Also, how big of a driver was the stepped up marketing and advertising spend, which you mentioned was up double digits in the quarter? How much, you know, did that help drive the top line? And then maybe finally on this business, you mentioned, you know, revenue in your on-premise business doubled in the quarter. You know, clearly that's off of a very, you know, easy comp, but just curious when you expect revenues from that business to be back to normal levels. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bonnie. Let me let me uh, try to answer a few of those uh, elements. Uh, the the uh, I think the results of the uh, PB&A business are a consequence of the work we've been doing for the last, I would say, three years or so uh, in trying to um, you know improve the equity of the brands, improve the execution, um, improve the um, you know the organizational focus, et cetera. Um, we're very pleased with the performance of all our brands. Uh, you know, we are, if you think about Mountain Dew, Pepsi, Gatorade, all our large brands are growing very nicely. And then on top of that, our, um, let's say, smaller, medium-sized brands uh, like Starbucks or Pure Leaf or Bubbly 
uh, others are, are also growing um, at a very nice pace. So I think the portfolio is working very well for us as a consequence of the great work the team has done on innovation and brand and the, and the, uh, the field teams are doing on execution. So that, that is the, um, the area we feel more, more proud about. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, there is a, um, a channel shift as consumers are moving more in the U.S. Um, there's more mobility. The, the food service away from, from home channel is growing faster in Q2, obviously, as you compared to last year. And that's a tailwind to the, uh, to the business um, that, that I think will continue over the next uh, quarters. But, it, but the most important thing, I, I think, for us to, um, to assess is that the business has been investing and it's, it's delivering as a consequence of that. We're gaining share. If you, I'm sure you, you've looked at the share numbers for the business in the last few months, and the business keeps gaining share, keeps getting more competitive. So that, that's that's a good sign of the uh, of the return on those investments. Yeah, the the only thing I wanted to add to that, Bonnie, is A&M was was up about 30 percent uh, in the quarter to to that specific question in uh, in PB&A. Oh, it's, I'm sorry, total. Our next question comes from one of Dara Mosimian of Morgan Stanley. Hey, guys. So um, just to build on that question, obviously a strong organic sales result in the quarter. Um, Two-year average trends also accelerated sequentially, and presumably it was the top line was better than you expected with the raised full-year sales guidance. So I was just hoping for a bit more granularity on how much of the upside or, or the acceleration sequentially was driven by stronger category growth. Um, you mentioned the on-premise strength, obviously, in beverages versus accelerating corporate market share, and maybe just give us a little more detail and, and numbers around market share performance. And then on a go-forward basis, given the strong market share trends, given the gross margin pressure we saw in Q2, can you just talk a little bit conceptually about pricing plans going forward in, in Frito and beverages and you know, how the near-term promotional environment also may impact that, uh, but just sort of your thoughts around pricing going forward um, in light of the market share strength and some of the gross margin pressure. Thanks. Yeah, there. Uh, let me try to cover, and then Hugh will, will also, um, you know, add, add on to it. I think when you look at the overall PepsiCo business, um, obviously, you, I mean, the, the biggest highlight for me is that the, the resilience of our snack business, right? So if you think about Last year it grew high single digit. This year is growing high single digit. That that is a uh, extraordinary. If you think about the uh, the shift in consumer behavior, how our portfolio is able to adapt to a more of an in-home uh, consumption uh, pattern or a, a more of an away from home consumption pattern. So that that part of the business is solid. It continues to grow at a very high level in the U.S. and also internationally. Obviously, the beverage category is benefiting from, you know, the change of patterns and behaviors of consumers, and it was very negatively affected in the away-from-home consumption last year. Obviously, we're benefiting now from that, and you see that in the acceleration of, obviously, our North America business, but globally, 
our beverage business is 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 growing much faster in the away from home business, obviously as as the uh, stores are open and people are moving around. So that from the category dynamics, it, across the board, uh, we're seeing a, uh, a share of uh, of market momentum in the business as a consequence of the investments we've been making for the last few years. And this is not only the U.S. This is across most of our large markets internationally, uh, developing and emerging markets. Um, and, and that, as I said, is, is we're having better innovation, better focus on our brand messaging, better execution in store, uh, better uh, demand to, uh, to supply uh, connectivity. And, and so all that is, is working very well to our advantage. Um, so that, that's in, in terms of growth and, and the key levers, as you were asking, on, on what's driven the acceleration of the business. When, when you come to... Um, to our um, uh, pricing and, and our uh, how we're going to uh, deal with with uh, pricing in, in the in the coming in the coming months, I would say obviously we're, same as everybody else we're, we're seeing uh, inflation in our business in, in you know across many of our uh, raw ingredients and and some of our inputs in labor and and freight and everything else. So we operate in the same context. We feel very you know, quite comfortable or confident that through a combination of net revenue management initiatives uh, and, and increased productivity, we can, we can navigate this. And um, I mean, we, we're looking at a, um, you know, obviously staying within our long-term uh, guidance for, for the coming year. So it is a combination of tools that we're having. Uh, we're working with our partners uh, in the retail space and in the, uh, in the away from home space to, um, to, to make the right decisions in pricing uh, to keep the consumers with us whilst we improve our margins. Yeah. Our next question comes from one of Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Great, thanks. Good morning. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, PBNA's margins this quarter. Obviously, very strong top line, so there's going to be some operating leverage. But I was curious if you could talk a little bit about building blocks on the margin this quarter, um, you know, what you're thinking of as a, um, we've kind of reached a new sustainable level in that build to, that, that aspiration to build PBNA margins back into the, um, the mid-teens type level. Um, so, you know, if you can share any kind of building blocks, you know, channel mix, um, absence of COVID costs, um, you know, um, straight uh, lower promotion, that would be really helpful context. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, Lauren, it's you. Uh, actually, you, you just mentioned a couple of the uh, the important <laughs> factors for sure. Uh, you know, channel mix obviously is uh, a benefit as uh, small food service as well as uh, as well as the uh, the convenience store channel continues to do well. Convenience grew double digits. Uh, the food service uh, channel, as, as you saw, doubled, uh, and and that's. A good profitable channel for us, so that that clearly was was a tailwind. But keep in mind that's really getting us back to normal in a lot of ways as well. So I, I don't view this as extraordinary. I just view it as we're getting back to to sort of a more normal world, although clearly not all the way back. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the the energy category, which we participate in in, in a bigger way, obviously has higher margins. Uh, Mountain Dew rises off to a terrific start. Rockstar, you know, we, we're slowly, steadily making progress on that. As we said, we, we, we believe that would take some time, and 
we continue to believe that'll take some time, but we're seeing some of the right indications there. Uh, and then, as you noted, uh, the combination of, of sort of operating leverage in the business plus a reduction in COVID costs, uh, as, as we expected, uh, also contributed. So, you know, some of the things that we've talked about in past quarters in terms of getting PB&A on the road to, uh, to much stronger margins, uh, we are certainly very acutely aware of it, and we are focused as a team on continuing to drive that, that improved performance. Our next question comes from one of Kevin Grundy of Jeffries. Great, thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone, and uh, congratulations on the strong results. Um, question uh, on the extension of the restructuring initiative and how this may translate to profitability. So you now expect a billion in incremental annual savings through 2026. I think this was generally expected by the market and, and translates to over 100 basis points per annum of margins pre any sort of reinvestment. So the question is, do you see a greater likelihood that shareholders could see a greater degree of earnings flow through in this phase of the restructuring program. And I ask that in the context of a clearly healthier top line coming out of the pandemic and multi-year investments that the company has made, some of which we've discussed on this call that have already been put into the P&L. So if the answer is no, what, what do you see as the most attractive areas of investment uh, within the portfolio, whether this is by product line or geography? So thanks for that. Yeah, hey Kevin, it's you. Um, a, a couple things on that. Number one, look, you know, we've we've obviously been delivering a billion dollars of productivity, over a billion dollars a year for for a number of years, and we continue to find opportunities to do that. Number two, part of what we're trying to do is shape the company for the future, and in doing so, we, we're obviously taking cost out in certain places, and then we're investing in certain places, like digitalizing the supply chain and and making. Our, our interactions with customers and consumers much more efficient than, than they were in the past. So I, I think what you'll see is to some degree the, those things will, will balance out. Uh, you know, we've always talked about something in the range of 30 bips of, of margin improvement, the, that 20 to 30 range that we've been in. Uh, and, and I think you should uh, assume that that's, that's where we're going to be going forward as well uh, on an ongoing basis. Now, obviously, quarter to quarter, those things may shift around a little bit, but that, that's sort of the track that we remain on, along with accelerated revenue growth. So the combination of accelerating revenue growth and 20 to 30 basis points of margin improvement uh, translates into, into nice EPS. You know, how, how much we, we deliver in, in every quarter, obviously, will be a product of the specifics of that quarter. Our next question comes from one of Brian Spillane of Bank of America. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, morning, Brian. Hey, Hugh, just wanted to, to touch a little bit on on the um, kind of the dynamics within gross margin, um, you know, both in the quarter and I guess as we're, we're looking forward. It's, you know, we know we've got raw material and commodity costs moving. Labor costs are higher. Sounds like there's also some just tightness in, in supply and some some packaging items. So I guess, you know, to the extent that, that – Raw material inflation probably is going to be with us for for a while. Just trying to understand as we're looking forward, how much of what you're seeing currently you expect to to sort of stick for a while, stick around for a while, and and how much of that you think begins to fade as as we move you know as we begin to exit twenty you know twenty twenty one. Yeah, happy to answer that, Brian, and and maybe shape a, a couple of summary comments to sort of help frame the 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 numbers a bit. 
Uh, obviously, gross margin was, was down in the quarter. That was no surprise to anyone. The, the biggest driver of that by far were the, the big international acquisitions that, that we had that uh, are just inherently lower gross margin businesses. Still good businesses, to be sure, but lower gross margin. So the math of that obviously dragged them down to some degree. Uh, in addition to that, Obviously, there, there's sort of ongoing uh, inflationary pressure. We, we insulate ourselves to some degree based on our forward buying program, and, and that has actually helped us clearly this year. Uh, the, there'll be a bit more pressure in the back half, but at the same time, as you know, uh, we, tended to, we tend to take pricing after Labor Day uh, in both of our businesses, and, and I think you would expect to see that pattern continue. So, you know, is there some, somewhat more inflation out there? There is. Are we going to be pricing to, to deal with it? We, we certainly are. The investments in our brands and the investments that we've made in, in supplying our, our customers, I think, is what, what enables us to take that pricing as we have every year. Our next question comes from the line of Andrea Tessera of J.P. Morgan. Hi, good morning, and congrats on the strong results. So, I think my question is, is is a bit like you just said, Hugh, on the on the sales recovery. Um, it implies the guidance implies um, about four to five percent growth in the second half, and it it basically is a deceleration on a two-year stack. So, what is driving these more conservative assumptions? Is that something outside uh, the U.S. Um, the lack of visibility? Uh, given that you have the reopening, you have the single serving coming back, you just said, you know, post-Labor uh, Day, you have the pricing coming in, and, and you also commented on energy becoming bigger for you. So all of those, can you uh, help us bridge uh, why the second half would be um, acceleration on a two-year stack? Yeah, Andrea, a couple things I, I think go into our guidance. First, and, and, and I'll always start with this, uh, when we deliver guidance to you all, we, it is a number that, that we intend to hit, and we have high, high assurance of hitting it. So as, as we sort of evaluate scenarios for the balance of the year, we obviously contemplate both the opportunity factors that, that you've mentioned, all of which are quite re real, as well as the risk factors of, you know, we're, we're not fully out of the pandemic at this point yet. There's sort of lots of uh, volatility to some degree in the U.S. And, and developed countries, but to an even greater degree in, in developing and emerging countries. So as we sort of think about our guidance, we, we sort of package all of that up and we adopt the posture that uh, gives us the ability to deliver under pretty well almost all scenarios. And, and that's why we've been as consistent as we have been in, in delivering our guidance. So I, I think as you think about our posture, uh, I'll just remind you of that, that that's the way we tend to approach this. Yeah, yeah I think, Andrea, is to build on what he was saying. I, th I think we, we're seeing, obviously, uh, positive trends in many markets, but we also see the reality of um, the pandemic. Uh, and, and I was just in Europe last week working with the European team, and, you know, um, what, when we thought it were going to be out of the um, – of the COVID uh, lockdowns, they're they're back into lockdowns in many markets. So, uh, I think, as Hugh said, we we are we're confident on the um, our marketplace performance. I think that will continue. Uh, will continue. I think we're 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 confident on the resilience of our categories. 
but but also we're we're aware of you know the uh, ups and downs that may come in the coming months, especially as we move into the uh, the colder months um, in in the northern hemisphere. So that 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 is all included in the um, in the uh, in the forecast for the balance of the year. And the one thing I will remind you of is you know we, we're delivering six percent on a on a full year basis. That's on top of a four two last year and on top of a four five the previous year. So. Um, you know, it's it's pretty strong overall top line performance for the year. Our next question comes from one of Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim. Hey, good morning, everyone, and uh, and I'd like to come back to uh, some of the comments you made on the energy category. I mean, you did uh, say in the pre-remark it was uh, pretty strong, and you mentioned uh, that you still have some work to do on Rockstar. So. Clearly, we are seeing that uh, Starbucks and, uh, and, uh, and Rice, to some extent, and, and Bank are doing very well. Uh, but Rockstar is a bit behind. So could you maybe uh, give us a bit more granularity about the, uh, the relaunch uh, and um, when you see uh, numbers come in uh, in the U.S., but also internationally, specifically in Europe uh, for Rockstar? Um, and also I mean, uh, some, uh, some indication about uh, Mountain Dew Rise. Um, so that we understand yeah. what's going on in the energy category for you guys. Thank you. Uh, hello, Laurent. Uh, yes, listen, uh, I think you mentioned the four pillars of, of our strategy, right? So let me, let me go back one by one. Uh, Starbucks, we're, we're super happy with the performance of that, that portfolio and the partnership with Starbucks is stronger than ever, and we continue to innovate, um, and I think the new products are excellent, the execution is excellent, that, that business is growing. You know, when take home and now away from home, it's it's really uh, firing in all cylinders. The um, um, Mountain Dew Rise, we're very happy with the initial uh, execution and the initial consumer reaction. So execution was very good from our teams. We tend to do that quite well. We have you know we we have good at DSD system that executes granularly. A good level, and we're seeing very good initial um, um, trial from consumers. Very good repeats. If you follow on social networks, you know all the comments are extremely positive about the taste, about the efficacy of the uh, of the product. So good. Uh, it's one percent of energy. One percent share is clearly, you know, we're aspiring for much more, but it's only been in the market for three. Uh, for three months, so very good start. I think it's a yeah, it's a, it's a solid foundation for what is going to be, I think, a great business. Um, uh, as you're saying, we continue to distribute the bank business um, as per our commitments, and that's going well. And then on Rockstar, the, uh, the we were always very transparent. This is a uh, a multi-year effort, right? That we're trying to put strong foundations, strong foundations in the areas of product, uh, so we're, we're changing some of the formulas. I think the non-sugar portfolio is excellent, and that's the area of the, uh, of the, um, the category that's growing the fastest. Uh, our execution is improving a lot. We gain distribution, and we gain better uh, visibility of the brand. And I think our, our brand positioning is, is, is quite good. It's, we found a niche that is, uh, wasn't there. Um, it clearly is differentiated from Red Bull and from a monster, and it's a unique position in there we plan to, uh, to insist on, and I think we're, we're getting good, good uh, feedback as well on, you know, on that positioning. So, we, 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 you know, as I said, it's going to be a multi-year. Uh, we're very focused. All the um, domestic business here in the U.S., but also the international teams are very focused on that priority 
and um, and we will execute, um, you know, um, on a on a multi-quarter, multi-year basis, and we're we're very positive what we're seeing. Um, again, we'll we'll keep updating you every quarter on on how the um, how things are are evolving, but um, positive so far. Our next question comes from one of Vivian Azer of Cowan. Hi, good morning. Thank you. I was hoping you could please comment on um, trends for SodaStream in the quarter, and in particular, how that business has responded to the recovery in away from home consumption um, in the U.S. Thank you. Yeah, good, uh, Vivian. The the, the SodaStream business is a um, is a global business, right? So it has a uh, you know a very solid uh, penetration in Europe. Um, that that business continues to uh, uh, thrive, I would say, in Europe um, and also in the U.S. We're gaining a lot of uh, household penetration in the U.S. We're, we're, the latest thing we're, we're doing, and it's working quite well, is putting some of our large beverage brands into the uh, Southern Stream, um, um, let's say, consumption model. Uh, we started in Europe. Uh, in the U.S., we started with bubbly. Uh, bubbly drops are uh, working very, very well. Um, as a um, as an enhancer of the uh, of the Southern Stream uh, experience, and uh, we continue to push that combination of the bubbly flavors and the Southern Stream uh, sparkling water experience. So uh, I would say still uh, far from its uh, potential. I mean the household penetration is is good in some Central European market. It's low everywhere else. We continue to build that. We continue to build the direct to consumer model trying to get many more insights on, on consumption behaviors, and that is helping us not only to develop the Southern Stream business, but to develop the rest of our, of our innovation and category. So a pretty good ecosystem we're building of um, you know, uh, consumption at home, but also insights and innovation for the broader business. So we, we feel good about, about the momentum of the, uh, of the business, and uh, we'll continue to, it's going to continue to be a priority for us going forward. Our next question comes from one of Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Yes, hey, good morning. Um, Ramon, you, you commented on this you know, just there a bit in the context of SodaStream, but, but as you step back, I was hoping you could expand on, on how you're viewing the performance of, of your recently acquired businesses in aggregate and, and where, you're, where you're at in terms of integrating them into the broader portfolio relative to your plans coming into the year. And then, Hugh, you know, in that context, I guess I just, just to validate whether it's fair to assume that with the financial performance expected this year, um, that, you, that you feel you'll be on track to remove some of the financial constraints that you imposed upon yourself this year in terms of being able to, to resume elective buybacks and or um, reenter the M&A market looking out beyond the end of this fiscal year. Just a health check there would be great. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Steve, uh, let me just go around the uh, the different um, um, uh, M&A um, and, and give you an update. The uh, obviously we started with SolarStream. I think it's a, uh, as I'm saying, is a future consumption model that we're betting on. Uh, it's, it's it's great in terms of consumer personalization of the product and and uh, obviously better for the planet. It's 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 going very well. It's going above our our initial uh, expectations for the business. We'll continue to invest. When it comes to um, to the U.S., uh, several acquisitions. The uh, Cytosport business, um, uh, which you know um, that was uh, the Muscle Milk brand and, and Evolve brand and some others, 
that business is, is really thriving. Clearly, we see that consumers are moving into uh, protein and, and sports, and, and that's a space that will continue to grow. Um, very positive momentum with the two brands. And there were some jewels in that business, like Evolve and some, and some others that were trying to uh, um, you know, take the maximum out of those brands, as you will see in, in the coming future. The Rockstar I mentioned, Rockstar was a, uh, an acquisition that gave us a great business, but also an enablement for a, uh, for a broader strategy. I think we're executing against those plans. Uh, we feel very, very good about it. The other acquisition we did in the U.S. Um, uh, in, in the snack business was uh, um, um, the better for, better for you company, the uh, the popcorners brands and some other brands that that business had. That is a amazing performance, and we knew that there was a space for the popping technology and for uh, the popcorners brands in, in playing in the uh, in the healthier space for snacking and, and a bit premium. Uh, the truth is that it, it, we, we keep adding capacity and. Um, you know, the Frito team are really doing a fantastic uh, work in terms of expanding uh, distribution and, and building the brand. So we feel very good about that one. Then when you go internationally, there were two focus acquisitions, one based in, um, you know, the Africa expansion, uh, pioneer business, and um, that is we're in the middle of the integration. Obviously, COVID has had an impact in, in, in the integration of that business, but we're, 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 we're proceeding this is a uh, Horizon 5 type of, you know, investment. Uh, Africa will be a, uh, you know, a source of growth for all our companies around the world um, in, in the coming uh, decades, and that's an investment with that type of, uh, that type of perspective. And the other business was the Bianchiri uh, uh, business in China, which is a, um, a direct-to-consumer uh, snack business that complement our potato chips and corn business um, in, in China with a lot of local snacks and, and a new, uh, new go-to-market in the form of direct-to-consumer. That is also working very well. We're starting to integrate. Uh, we're, we're launching some of the Bianchiri products in, in, into our, you know, um, uh, let's say, brick-and-mortar distribution system uh, that we, that's pretty good in, in China. And the other way around, we're putting some of our brands into the uh, the Bianchiri direct-to-consumer model. So I would say, uh, you know, the the, uh, the execution is good. The strategic intent that we had with all these acquisitions, uh, it's 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 working. The business case continues to be uh, to be uh, um, you know as as we thought. Uh, so uh, good good progress, I would say, in in all these different acquisitions. And then Steve, to follow up on your questions on capital allocation, no change at all to what I previously said regarding M&A, and no change regarding buybacks. Our next question comes from one of Nick Modi of RBC Capital Markets. Yeah, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so the question is really on international. It, you could provide, you know, obviously you had some pretty strong performance. The COVID situation seems a bit uh, asymmetric, obviously, between the U.S. And, and other parts of the world. So just wanted to get some context on away from home, at home, what you saw there. And then some of the channel work that we've done would suggest that PepsiCo has, at least in beverages, has been, um, quite active um, in, in, in the retail trade uh, with promotions. So I just wanted to get some context around that. Was this just an opportunity that you saw um, of kind of pushing people into uh, away from home consumption because the, uh, sorry, at home consumption because away from home was under pressure due to COVID? Thanks. 
Yeah, Nick. Um, let me tell you uh, a bit how the uh, how we see the, um, the situation, the different markets around the world. Uh, obviously, starting with uh, China, uh, China is obviously out of COVID uh, already for some time, and the trends are, um, you know, the away from home business grew last year, continues to grow. Our snacks uh, business continues to do very strong. The same with beverages. So. Good, good, good macros in China. Um, the rest of Asia a bit more challenged. So we're seeing when you think about Vietnam, Thailand, um, you know, Japan, even uh, even Australia, there there are a bit more challenges there in the uh, you know in, in consumers going back to normal behavior. So that might take a little bit of time. Uh, obviously, Africa, Middle East, uh, India. You you guys are reading the news now. So there's a lot of um, still a lot of. Uh, um, you know, challenges there with, with running normal operations in all those markets. So it will, it will be a while before those markets go back to a normality. Uh, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, very strong, actually, in spite of uh, some of the uh, COVID challenges in Russia specifically. Uh, you know, consumers are moving around, and, and, and Eastern Europe is very strong, Turkey included, uh, where they had some uh, uh, latest, um, you know, lockdown. So uh, we see those markets performing very well. Uh, Western Europe, um, obviously, away from home is is improving compared to last year, but still you don't see the um, the normal traffic uh, north south in in Europe this time of the day, this time of the year. Sorry, uh, consumers are staying in their in their uh, in their countries. They're not there's not going to be the usual uh, movement of people in Europe north south. So that that's that we we plan for that and we plan to execute our summer programs around that. Uh, Latin America, and I happened to be, I was in Mexico a few weeks ago, um, still uh, the pandemic is very visible, but consumers are uh, increasing their mobility, and that, that obviously is, is having positive, positive uh, impact in our um, you know, small, small shops uh, performance and, and, and somehow the restaurant business, the same with Brazil. Um, so um, that, that hopefully gives you a little bit of a, of a picture of how the um, how the uh, different parts of the world are are, are behaving and, and the trends in our channels. Yeah, the only thing I'd add is broadly the the environment seems quite rational. I mean, you know, we we're we're managing through this successfully, um, and, and it's obviously shows up in the results. The growth numbers were were quite strong, pretty well around the world. Our next question comes from one of Rob Ottenstein of Evercore. Great. Thank you very much. Um, still, still early days and, and maybe premature, but love to get your thoughts on you know, what the new normal is going to look like uh, for the consumer, uh, channels, uh, you know, any long-lasting behaviors that you're starting to pick up on uh, that we'll see, you know, post-COVID, and to the extent there are, how you're changing or adapting the uh, the company to meet them. Thank you. Yeah, good question. Listen, we, we're we're still obviously looking at consumer behaviors, and and and, and I think consumers are also, uh, you know, trying to figure it out at this point. We, we see some trends that that I think we are going to stay. The most important one probably is. The shopping behavior is changing. I think e-commerce, or let's call it e-commerce in a broader sense, it's it's going to continue to be a preferred way of shopping. Uh, something that a lot of families tried during the pandemic, 
and we're seeing those families sticking to that behavior. So that that is going to be a permanent trend, and, and obviously we've been investing in e-commerce for quite some time, capabilities, uh, supply chain, um, advertising models, et cetera, and we're working very closely with all our customers to pivot to that. So that I think that's, that's something that's going to stay. Um, uh, the home as a hub is also a trend that we're seeing more. Um, I think consumers are venturing out, but they're still doing a lot of their activities at home, and we we foresee a um, you know a uh, a flexible working uh, model where consumers are going to spend more time at home, and they're not going to go back to the office uh, kind of every day of the week. Obviously, certain type of of, of uh, people, not not everybody. We see that as an opportunity for our snacks and our um, our breakfast and our um, you know, uh, food business in general, and also for our beverages business. Uh, we see consumers um, in general being more concerned about what we call holistic health, so mental health, uh, physical health. Consumers are exercising more. Consumers are more uh, making more um, balances between their food choices, which, uh, uh, you know, for us generates a couple of important trends, uh, portion control, we're seeing that as a uh, strategy consumers are following, and that's giving us a huge growth in our uh, variety packs and multi-packs, and, and you know, that is a, is a trend that we're capturing. I think we'll continue. The other one is um, consumers moving to uh, healthier spaces in, in our categories. Clearly, non-sugar is growing very fast. I think we're very well positioned from the R&D point of view and the innovation point of view on, on non-sugar. And the same with... Um, Per, more permissible snacks where we, uh, in the last few years, we've been between acquisitions and on development. We have a, a very good portfolio that is gaining share in that, in that particular space. So those are some of the trends that we're seeing. Obviously, consumers will continue to evolve, uh, but, but, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're following very close what's happening across different parts of the world and uh, adapting uh, very fast, our brands and our our innovation, our channel um, resources to that to that uh, to those new trends. And we have time for one more question. Our final question will come from the line of Chris Carey of Wells Fargo Securities. Hi, thank you for the question. Um, so you, you just noted on. Um, you know, uh, the trend to consume healthier products. And um, you know, in, your, in your prepared remarks, you also talked about continuing to invest behind zero sugar, both on the carbonated and non-carbonated side. Um, I, I wonder if you could maybe just help, you know, uh, lay the land here on how the portfolio is performing and how you see it positioned and, and where you think the investments um will go both on a product and geographic basis. I mean, obviously in the U.S., um, you know, Diet Mountain Dew has been losing some share. Um, maybe Diet Pepsi about flat, max, max gaining, but still relatively small, probably doing quite well. Um, and so just, um, you know, any perspective on, you know, how important or, um, you know, the, the go-forward trends that you, that you see in this business and, and, and where you really expect to focus um, in, the, in the near, medium, and longer term. Thank you. Yeah, happy to do so. Listen, I think the uh, obviously consumers are moving. I think, uh, and it's 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 going to be a a long-term trend into healthier 
choices in beverages and in snacks, right? And uh, so we've been working on this for a long time in our R&D, and I think we're getting very good at uh, providing the consumers with very good uh, taste experiences and functional experiences with zero sugar, and that is a uh, um, you know a, a great capability we have in the system. We have great examples of that. If you only think about, for example, Gatorade Zero, right? I mean, this is a, a massive innovation. Uh, it's over a billion dollar uh, innovation. We only, for I would say, 20 months, something like that, in the marketplace. So we're able to provide functionality, good taste at a zero sugar, even in spaces like Gatorade. Clearly, for um, for more refreshing experiences or more indulgent experiences, uh, I think the, um, the the Pepsi Zero solution or the Mountain Dew Zero solutions, those are uh, extremely great tasting products that are getting uh, a lot of consumer uh, favor. If you think about our European business, for example, uh, the equivalent of Pepsi Zero, which is Pepsi Max in Europe, is is leader in, in, in many of the European brands. Um, European markets, we have a much higher share in the non-sugar category than we have in the sugar category, and I think that's that's where we've been investing for a long time. We'll continue to invest. We see that trend, um, you know, not stopping for the uh, foreseeable future, and it's, it's where where we are putting our R&D investments, our brand investments, and our innovation investments. Okay, I think we run out of time. So um, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today and uh, for the confidence you've placed in, the, in PepsiCo and in us with your investments. So we hope uh, that you all stay uh, healthy and, and safe. Thank you very much, and talk to you again. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This does conclude today's call. You may now disconnect.